Welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. I'm Dr. Joy Jameson Lee, and this is my daughter, Jamie Lee Braithwaite. And we are here tonight to have and share a wonderful show with you. Enjoy the show. Tonight, our show is going to be on the topic of communication. We've had several questions submitted that we're going to discuss tonight. And the first one is, how does the Joyrific chart help you communicate? Dr. Lee. The Joyrific chart is a form of communication that puts us all on the same plane. And so it's important that we get the same vocabulary going as we've talked before. And by sharing the same vocabulary, we have an understanding. One of the things that we we try to explain a, maybe a complex topic or a subject in a simplistic way, and that is communication. So, for example, if you have only so much energy to communicate, well, part of that energy is for understanding, and the other part of it is for action. And so if you understand quickly, you'll have a lot more energy for, understand, for action. But if you're understanding, if you're not understanding in your communication, it takes away most of your energy and you have very little left for action. And that develops the learning curve. So what we have is in the beginning, there's a lot of learning going on so that you can develop that understanding. And it's not just individually, it's in the whole family. Individually it begins and then it spreads through the whole family so that we can all understand one another. And once we're on the same plane with that, then we have lots of energy for action. So what does the learning curve look like? The learning curve is large at first. At first you have lots and lots. There's many words. When you look at the Joyrific chart, there's nine squares, but there's more than nine titles or topics that could go within those nine squares. Those are just symbolic. And then if you look to the left of the Joyrific chart, we have the personal inventory. And the personal inventory also has the whole process that you go through when there is a problem. So when you're on the low of the Joyrific chart, that would be in the bottom three squares, whether it's grumpy, whining, or temper tantrum, or anything that you feel fits in those categories when your face looks like those faces or you're feeling in your heart some of those things, even if your face doesn't show it. And so you look to the personal inventory chart part and see what exactly is the problem. Now, as you go through that and, and you ask yourself, well, first of all, is it my physical body? Am I hurt? Is something wrong? Well. As your children grow, as they're young, when you're first talking about this, they have a little bit of understanding. And as they, the more you talk about it, greater their understanding becomes. So then when, you, when you're able to uh, communicate with them, and of course, it's really exciting because a lot of children with sign language are learning very young, very, very young, that they can communicate even though they don't know the words of it. The, the words to use, they can communicate with sign language. So if you can communicate that sign language of what it is that hurts on their body or what it is that's causing them grief in, with their physical body, if their body's fine, then you might look to this, uh, their sleeping patterns and what's going on. Are they uh, awake at night? Are they having difficulty sleeping? Did they miss their nap? 
what, what's the issue with the sleep? And sometimes, like when you go on vacation, your sleep patterns get all messed up, and that creates other issues, and, uh, or when you have company coming over. It's really important. Kids need a routine that is consistent, and children need a lot of sleep. They need probably nine hours on the average, and that or more, and that is a lot of sleep. And so um, sleeping patterns are really important. Now, sometimes it takes a little bit older child to be able to comprehend and understand their sleeping patterns, but you can certainly help them understand. If they go to bed and the clock is on the uh, seven when they go to bed and they wake up when it's on the seven, that's fantastic. They've had 12 hours of sleep, which is really good for those young growing bodies. But if it, if they go to bed on the nine or the 10 and they wake up on the six, you know, you can see they have less sleep and you can teach them easily to soon learn about their sleeping patterns. And then the next part of the um, personal inventory is the nutrition. How are they eating? When children, children need to eat frequently during the day and um, in the evening, they need to have snacks, but you need to have it on routine. So for example, when they get up, it's important that they eat breakfast. And then mid-morning, they need snack, but healthy snacks. And then lunch and then afternoon snacks. When children come home from school, there should be a little snack for them to regenerate their bodies. So if kids are hungry, if they are hungry, then there's, there's lots of reasons why they're um, not being able to communicate or upset in their communications. That's why they're on the low. Take care of the food and the nutrition, and then it uh, solves, oftentimes solves the problem. Another one, and, and let me just talk about when you're hungry. About 5 o'clock in the evening is a time when everybody's hungry and tired, and if you have, if you can plan ahead and have dinner ready before there's an issue, it makes it so much better. And then the last area on the personal inventory is the expectation and attention. Did a, did a child have an expectation? They thought that their daddy was going to come home and play with them, and he got held up at work or something happened. And so then they might not be able to express that to you, but if you teach them to start learning about expectations of what 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 are they disappointed about or what happened, or do they need attention? Different children need different amounts of attention. I thought, boy, I've had five children, and I thought they're all raised in the same environment by the same parents. You would think they were all the same, but it is not true. They are all different, and they all need different amounts of attention. So it's very important to go through the joyrific chart in helping with that communication. And that's when that learning curve becomes smaller and you're able to surpass it because you've created the same vocabulary, the understanding as you work through the joyrific chart. So I've presented this joyrific chart to many, many, many families over the last several years, along with many adults. And I think that the learning curve for adults is very, very small. They're able to look at the chart they can see the symbols. They already know the definition of all the words. They understand the definition of the personal inventory. But they're able to bring it together and just bring it together. I don't know how else to say that. You've seen me introduce it to several of the adults that we've trained. What do you... Isn't it eye-opening? What do you... Well, it's really interesting because by and far, some adults, most of the adults 
get it. When I say get it, you present it, you show them how it works, they say, oh my gosh, you know, they're able to get it and be able to use it. Now, it doesn't mean that they're perfect at it and it takes practice, but they get it. And kids don't automatically just get it. Children Especially have Especially like to- my four-year-old. The, the three, turning three to that four years into the five years, right before kindergarten, they're really pushing the limits of their emotions and understanding and expressing those temper tantrums and, and they're learning they're in that learning curve they're they're working on it they're understanding it and the consistency of me being able to come to the chart i think is a really powerful tool for them it is and at that age one of the uh, very high on the charts of what is the best way to teach is repetition and so the more you repeat and the more you go back to that chart and the more that you talk about it when things are good you don't want to talk the only time you go to the charts when they're in a temper tantrum. That doesn't work. That do, You cannot teach them when they're in the low. You can't teach. That's when you have action. You've got to teach them when everything's good and everybody's happy and fed and slept well and everything's on a good plane. I have a fantastic husband that is very patient. And even still, there'll be times when he will say to me, now, Jamie, do you need to go look at the chart? And, or And it's sort of turned into this funny thing. But I will get hungry, and I'll just get grumpy, and I won't realize that it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I haven't eaten lunch, and I can't figure out why I'm so impatient with all the children and why everything's crashing down. And Well, and some of that behavior is learned behavior, and, but we can learn to handle it. And we get things within families. Families have... Um, behaviors that are passed down because we do what our families did. We do what our parents did. We do what our brothers and sisters did. And so it's a learned behavior. There's a lot of learned behaviors and a lot of learned philosophy. But one of the things that the Joyrific chart does is it brings together a solution of a way to handle it when those things do happen. So you can say, oh, I do understand that I'm hungry. Whereas if you didn't have the chart, you might not think that you're hungry or you might not even know to ask yourself that. Or your six-year-old will ask you. <laughs> you know, Now that I've taught my children, my, my younger or my little bit older, so my six and eight-year-old will say, now, mom, do you need to go take a nap because you're kind of acting a little bit grumpy? So I'm going to babysit everyone and we're going to watch a movie and you go lay down on your bed and take a nap. Rather, I mean, that's powerful for her to be able to... That is powerful. And what it shows is is it shows that you have been able to teach her that she's overcome the learning curve. She now knows how to go to that personal inventory for you. And see, we all have times. There's always times that we're, we, every day isn't wonderful. We have days that are up and down, and, and even within good days, we have bad moments. But when we start recognizing it, Uh, And I know I've often talked about how even going out in public with children, we start recognizing how other people are having meltdowns or other people are being very kind. And, you know, wasn't that a a kind or a patient way to be? Uh, When you're at the grocery store and the person in front of you is waiting very patiently for the cashier who's changing the tape and all this stuff, or when you're driving in traffic and, and someone lets someone else in, you know, how patient that is, how kind that is. And, of course, you know, that's all a part of the teaching process. And so communicating that when you see it to right. the children. That's right. It's all a part of, that's all a part of the conversation that you have. You want to 
that it's just kind of like a part of your life is developing the communication skills and putting words to actions. Okay, moving on with these questions is the next question that we got submitted was, how can I be a better listener to my child? It is difficult when you are involved in many different things. If you've got children, job, all career, life, food, bills, lots of things going on in your head, sometimes it's very hard to stop and listen to a child that, you know, you may even in the back of your mind think, this isn't that important, you know, I don't need to listen to this, but let me tell you, it is important. So there's several things you need to do. First of all, you need to get on the level of your child. You need to look at them eye to eye. You don't want to be hoovering over them. You want to get down and listen to them. So in the kitchen even, when your child is trying to tell you something or crying or pulling on your on your um, your pant leg, you bend down, you kneel down, and you look them in the eye and you'll say, what can I do for you? What's going on? What, what do you need? You know, and you talk to them and you listen to them. And you take a few minutes. I used to, when my children were young, I used to do a lot of sewing. And when I would sew, get very involved. You know, I've got patterns and papers and materials and pins and my machine's buzzing and scissors flying. And, and I have little kids pulling on my legs. And I would stop whatever I was in the middle of. And we'd go out and we'd play and we'd do a few things. And if I gave them 15 or 20 minutes, pretty soon they were happy to go and play. And then I could go back in and sew and work on my project. But if I don't, they would sit there and whine and cry. And it's almost that learned behavior that you teach them how to cry. You teach them how to whine. You teach them to continue that behavior because eventually you're going to give them and give them something. And um, this way, it's much better give them the attention and be a listener. And it's a a behavior that you have to practice as a parent. It doesn't always come easy. And especially if your own parents weren't listeners. So a lot of times when we get under the pressure, we do what our parents did. So what you have to do is you either do what your parents did, which it may be good or it may be bad, but you do what your parents did or you learn another way. And I'm just telling you, you need to get down. You need to spend time and be patient and listen. And you don't have to do it all day long. It it's in little excerpts of time, little uh, minutes here and there and here and there. And if you do that, then they feel they're, um, they're getting, it fills their bucket. They get that attention and that need to be heard. So what do you do when you have a child that needs that extra, extra attention that we were talking about and you don't have the time? How, how do you do that? What do you work? What do you do? I had, um, like I said, I had five children, and one of them particularly needed a lot more attention than others. And I found it was magical. I talked to his dad, and I said, now, when you come home, I need you, no matter what you're doing, I need you to get whatever it is, set it down, and you take that little guy, and you go and give him some attention and give him tons of attention and he needed physical attention too. He wasn't he was he was more physical than the others too. And it was magical. If he would do that for 20 or 30 minutes every day when he got home from work, that little guy was on his best behavior all the time, all day and all night. And when he couldn't do that, it was a nightmare. So how did you recognize that? I don't know. I think that it was a it was a trial and error kind of thing. It what happened is, 
I think it probably started with me being exasperated when he walked in the door and I said, take care of these kids, I can't stand it, I'm going to die. <laughs> and so I think what happened is then, it after he did that, and I have this wonderful husband that was really a fantastic father, and when he did that, I started noticing, and particularly that one's behavior when he didn't do it was so much... He, I put it that he was needy. He was needy emotionally. And so he didn't get what he needed. And when his dad did that, it was fabulous. Okay, moving on to this next question. Thank you. That was, that was wonderful. How do you help your child be patient when you try to explain something to them clearly, but they blow up and just keep throwing tantrums? My sister one time said to me when my children were young and I was at her house, and, she, and I was trying to get my kids to cooperate, and they were all crying and throwing temper tantrums and being wild and crazy. And she said, yes, sit down there and act like you're 21, will you? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you've got to understand. And one of the things that happens is that we lose sight of their youth, and they are little children, and we have to allow them to be little children and understand that. Now, Sometimes we're trying to talk to them like an adult. And when we use... Which is okay to talk it to is, them. It is. It is. In fact, it's a good way. And, and with a joyrific chart, that's what we do. But there's times when they're throwing a temper tantrum and you can't treat them like an adult. You can't say, sit down and act like you're 21. They don't do that. If they're doing it... When they're having the temper tantrum, it's not the time to train them. That's the time for action for a parent to do what you have to do. And, of course, what we recommend you do is you have a place where they can go and think. That's a think time. You go to the joyrific chart. You look and say, oh, here, where we are. Oh, there you are. Now your child is throwing a temper tantrum, and he doesn't want to look at the chart. So you just say, okay, that's fine. You just sit right there until you're ready to look at the chart. And when you are, you look at the chart, figure out where you are, and let's figure out how to solve it. But this is think time, and it's not a punishment. It's you need to think. You're out of control. You need to stop and think. And then when they are, when you are in uh, in the good times, when they're able to listen and you can teach, that's when you talk about think time. And what is think time? It's when I don't know what I'm feeling. A lot of times we try to force kids to tell us why, why they're doing something. And a lot of times they don't know why. And so we have to be careful and say, you take think time and figure out what you're feeling and let's analyze it and if they don't know why it's okay but sometimes they do know why and that's where we go back to our um, personal inventory chart and sometimes I don't know why I'm doing something. oh and uh, parents don't yeah adults don't we don't know why we do things well we have a whole nother uh, topic of the brain and when we talk about the brain and your brain you most of your reasoning and thinking is in the front part of your brain the top and the front and the fight or flight's in the back of your brain. And so when you get angry, guess where your brain thinking goes? Back to the fight or flight. It's not up in the thinking and reasoning. The same when you're having a temper tantrum. So when parents get upset, sometimes they do really, I was going to say stupid things, but it's true. It's just they do things that are not thought through because you're not thinking in this problem-solving area of your brain. You're back in the fight or flight, and you just are reacting, and you're going to have it your way, and this is how it is. And so that's why you count to 10, you slow down, you have everybody calm down. This is think time for mom. This is think time for dad, whatever's going on, and, and wait. You do not have to 
have something happen right that second. You can wait until you're ready to reason and take some breaths and, uh, and drink water. Water is also really good to get that oxygen going too. And uh, now, The next question, it says, how do you get them to simply be obedient instead of them continuing to not listen? And the parent is worn out from talking, even though you take away privileges, toys, etc., and their behavior still won't change. They still won't listen. I think this goes into what we were talking about, the parent being worn out and done and on the last, you know. Last straw. Yeah. Pat had it. Well, obviously, by that point, the parent's tired. So probably everybody needs to go to bed and take a nap. And that's not unusual. I mean, I'm telling you, there are times when it nobody reasons, nobody can listen. Tell us about taking a nap. Now, you kind of have this magic power of taking naps with my children. We'll go to grandma's house and I don't know, it's something about like the law of grandma. Like you all just know that you take a nap and you do and it's magic. I come home and try it and it doesn't always work, but I'm learning. So tell us, tell us how you do that, that expectation. Well, one of the things, just like, see, I'm not the mom, I'm the grandma. So that's my first advantage. I, know, I have to leave the house for it to work. <laughs> and there's an expectation of when I say things and how we have to live up to what I say. Uh, it's similar if you, if you watch your kids when they go into the classroom. Kids will tell you at a very young age, there are rules at school. And if, you know, you say to your child, well, do you talk to your mother like that? Well, sometimes they talk to their mom kind of mean. Well, do you talk to your teacher like that? No, I would never do that. And so there's an expectation that happens. And part of it is it's just hard being a parent and there's a lot going on and you're with them 24-7. And so there's a lot going on. But you have to, and you also have your ups and downs. And that's why the Joyrific chart is so good is because it gives you a break. It gives you an opportunity to say, okay, things are out of control here. Let's go over the chart and let's figure out where we're at. What's going on? And, um, and it makes it feel like I'm not out of control as a parent that I'm able to go to the chart and, you yeah. know, well, and even I'm if you a... are out of control, sometimes the parents are out of control. If you're exhausted, if you've been talking until you're blue in the face and nothing's changing, what, what, what does Einstein say? Um, insanity. Insanity is doing the same, same thing over and expecting a different results. Well, and, and that's the thing is that we were doing something and maybe it worked with the first child. If we did that this way. Or the first year of the child's life right. or last month or last week or last hour. And then how come it's not working today? And like I said, go back to the chart. But one of the things you, you need to do is you need to stop and maybe take naps or maybe have time away from each other and have some calm time. I, um, I think it's really good to have a child have a place where they can have think time. And you can let the child pick it. Where do you want to go to have think time? I had one of my boys that would wanted to sit on his bed, and he loved to read, and he would sit there and read. Well, that's not a bad thing. Go and read. Be calm. Do, you know, stay there for an hour or two if you want to, or stay there for three minutes. But when you come out, you're ready to talk. We're ready to resolve it. So you don't want to keep talking until, and they're not listening. That doesn't work. Be sure that when you talk, they're listening. And if they're not, stop talking. It doesn't do any good to keep talking if they're not. Yeah, well, it may make you feel better, but it certainly isn't effective with parenting. Write it in your journal. They that's can read it when they're right. 21. That's right. That's right. In fact, we have 
we had journals from our for our children starting from birth. In fact, Jamie has Grandpa writing in her current baby's uh, journal, and he she, he's not even born yet. But we we do have journals, and I think that's very effective. And I also um, like the siblings to share journals like they can write in each other's journal or or mom or dad can write in each child's journal and if you write in a way you know you want to write simple sentences with um not all the time you can write sophisticated too but but if you write so that they can read it they get so excited um of course you know if you want to write some serious stuff that's okay too and when they're older they can read it and show in it and, and share in it it's good it's all good Writing in journal is good. And writing, just writing, getting thoughts down. If you can write it, you can figure it out. Do you have more to say about writing? Well, I'd just say writing is all there is. Writing and reading, they go hand in hand. And uh, can you tell I was a reading writing teacher? <laughs> <laughs> but they go hand in hand. And so if you can read and you can write, you can about do anything in life. You know that you can learn anything that you want to learn. You can you'll go far with your education, with your communication, everything you do. And so if you can help children learn to read and write, and computers are so fabulous because a lot of young children have difficulty holding pencils and writing and stuff, but my goodness, let them type on the computer. I've seen these kids whipping things out. It's kind of exciting. We now, and learning how to write and things like that, which Dr. Lee's an expert on as well. But I want to talk a little bit about the expectations chart that I've done for my children to help them as I've learned from Dr. Lee and from my mom to figure out how to do these teach the kids how to what their expectations are like with napping so down the I do it on a whiteboard in my kitchen and down the left side I have the hours of the day so we start at seven in the morning so we have seven eight nine ten eleven twelve all the way down to seven at night and um, we will write in it I'll, I'll write the simple word like in the morning at seven, we wake up happy or we wake up kind. And so I'll write that, but then I'll draw a kind face. Then at eight o'clock we eat breakfast. And so I'll write eat breakfast and then I'll draw a bowl of cereal or whatever it is. And we go through the day at, at that. So like at nine o'clock I'll say, well, what do you want to do, Emmy? And she will at four, decide some magical thing she wants to do like play play-doh well i'm not going to play play-doh with emmy for an hour at nine o'clock but sometime within that hour i find time to play play-doh with her and it helps her to be empowered by her knowing the expectations of the day and then i can put on some things like on monday we mop and on tuesday we clean toilets and on wednesday we do washing and so we're able to incorporate the chores in and at that age, they love helping. They love doing the chores. And that's a good way to write and read and expectations and all that kind of stuff. Okay, next. It is great. It is so effective. And she also took a digital clock and covered the minutes so kids can look at the clock and know what hour it is. So her little three- and four-year-olds... They run, look at the digital clock, and then they run to the chart and see what it is, and then they look at the pictures and and uh, are learning to read some of the words and, and know exactly what they're going to do, and they'll come and tell you. That's part of my secret when they take naps, as we talk about when what the clock's going to be on, what we're going to do. Well, and what what's going to happen when they wake up? Because sometimes right. it feels like 
you're going to lock them in the dungeon for the rest of their life when really they just need a half hour cat nap or and when they wake up they're going to be able to do whatever whatever is in the store go to the park or go outside and play or whatever it is that's happening now the question is for you how do you communicate your expectations without yelling or feeling like nagging First of all, you never need to yell. Well, maybe if the house is on fire, you need to yell. But you don't need to yell. Now, there's reasons to use a loud voice and be stern, but yelling and nagging, and we learn it from our parents because our parents didn't know what to do, and so they would yell and nag. And so if... Well, and sometimes I'll say, I will never do what my mom did. (laughs) But then in the moment... It's happening, and it's chaos, and you just do what you did, and you do what you... What you learned. What you learned. You did. You, you do. And that's, that's what we do. And so what we have to do is we have to... Remember when we, we talked a few minutes ago of, uh, about repetition, and we have to practice and practice what to do so that when the moment comes, that's how we maintain. And sometimes if some of us are more prone to be a yeller, then we might have to use some strategies like counting to 10 or taking deep breaths or uh, walking away for a minute and saying, just a minute, give me a couple of minutes. And, you know, we have to use some strategies so that we don't yell and uh, scream at our kids and that we don't um, create some of those bad, um, you know, feelings that happen when we yell. And again, probably your brain is draining and you're using the back fight or flight in your brain. And so you're not thinking and reasoning well. And you may say things that you wish you wouldn't have. So that's why you always try to stay calm and keep breathing. And that's when you're communicating. You need to uh, communicate calmly and civilly. So how do you express those expectations? Well... You, it's a part of the expectation. It's a part of who you are and how you are. And this is how we communicate. In our house, we don't scream at each other. Unless the house is on fire or you're going to get run over by a car or something like that. You, and, and you show that and you talk about that. And if So before the Jorific chart, the time that I yelled the most was between 4 and 6 o'clock. And okay, let's talk about between 4 and 6 o'clock. What's going on? Are we tired? Yes. Are we hungry? Yes. We've had the kids all day. Are we worn out? That's right. Worn out. Daddy's not home yet. And are the kids worn out and they're tired of you and they're hungry and they're tired and they've done everything that they wanted to all day and it's... So how do you get expectations done without yelling? What do you do? Well, you have to set up... I, I didn't have a chart like you have. I think your chart's brilliant. But I had a plan. I always had a plan in place. And one of the things that we would do is we would all together pick up really fast around the whole house so that when dad walked in the house, it was always picked up. It looked good. Sometimes that pickup was get the, get the laundry basket quick. Let's put everything in the laundry basket and let's put it Hide in the closet. It. <laughs> and other times we would make uh, a fun time of cleaning up and sorting and having games of the sorting and put things away. But we always wanted, when Dad walked in the house, we always wanted it looking good and clean and organized. And then we also had to plan. So once we got it clean, we didn't want it messed up before Dad got home. And knowing that this is a time that we're tired, that's when you're not working on your 
on your scrapbooking or your sewing or your other yeah your computer your other activities this is a time when okay it's all focused on the kids and I would take them outside we'd go for a walk with we had a trampoline we'd jump on the trampoline we would do something different and and more physical and I might even give them a little snack to help us get through before dinner time and I always had dinner going we always had a dinner time routine and dinner was always ready Dinner time is a really important thing because if you have a cons- if kids know that they're getting some consistent food at consistent times, it overcomes a lot of the problems that you have with obesity and and insecurities as well. So it's really important to have a consistent dinner time. And then when you have those expectations in place and you have a plan, and that's a pretty simplistic plan, but it worked for me. Then when Dad comes home, I told you he takes the kids for. 20, 30 minutes while I finish up putting, setting the table and getting the dinner ready. Or sometimes that was part of it. He would come and help us do that. But we would all eat dinner and it it just... Talk about communication at the dinner table. Communication at the dinner table. One of the things that's really fun is no matter what age your kids are, you ask them how their day went. You talk what they did today. And all the focus is on the person talking. So we always had all of our children contributed at the dinner table. Each one of them can contribute. And what's interesting is we had a, a visitor come one time, and our youngest son, who was used to, he was the youngest one with all these older children, but everybody listened to everything everybody said. And he was used to being, having as much credibility at the table as anyone else. He was probably 10 at the time. Yes. And we had this visitor come over. And he would ignore him. As youngest, my youngest boy, he would ignore him. And the visitor was the ignoring. visitor. Yes, the visitor ignored him and and wouldn't listen to him and didn't give him any time to talk. And when when the visitor left, uh, <laughs> Troy says, "That that guy acted like I wasn't even here. I don't like that." And it's really true. You give. Uh, credibility to your children it's part of confidence and helping them understand and grow and you really work hard to make sure that they're a part of that conversation and they love eating at the dinner table our children were never anxious to get up and run do something else they hung out at the dinner table well maybe part of it was related that we'd get up and do the dishes before we (laughs) ran out but they loved sitting around the table and talking for hours and we would sit well, and, and talk. Well, and we'd take turns. And I've started it with my kids. I mean, my kids are pretty young and still. But and we still start it. And we go around and we take turns. And everybody's quiet and listens when it's the person's talking's turn. And I think that teaches so much about about everything with communication. And it, it, it overflows into other parts of their life. Okay, now we have a couple of other questions, but we are done for today, and this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Is there anything last that you want to add here on? No. It, well, let me just say that I would. I think communication is really, really important, and I think the that you can't overwork it. I think that you continue to work it and try experiments and try what works and keep working. And what works with one child might not work with the next child or what worked this week might not work next week. Oh, one last question. I am so sorry. How do you encourage better communication between children that have a large age gap between them? 
So children with older kids down to the younger kids. It's, it goes back to your expectation. Everybody is credible and holds important position in the family. And everybody has their time to talk and, and everybody around needs to listen to them and give them opportunity to talk. And that builds confidence. It, builds, it helps them feel ownership in the family. It, everybody has an important place and should be as, there shouldn't be, just because you're older doesn't mean that you're, what you have to say is more important. And sometimes we feel that way, just like the visitor that came to, you know, they thought that what they had to say was more important. And we don't feel that way. We want everybody in the family to have an important part to say. So you have to teach them that. And part of it is having, and maybe you need to sit down with the older child beforehand and say, okay, now, I want you to ask the younger child some questions today. Can you think of some questions that you could ask that you would have liked to have been asked when you were that age? Or, you know, you kind of guide them a little bit. Or maybe you have to tell them, say, okay, these are some of the questions I want you to ask today to him. So that that older child not only are you helping him figure out what to say, but it also helps him see how it's important that they're all in this together. And another way to do it when you're talking around the table is have every the person speaking and then have everybody ask one question of that person so that everybody has a chance to also question it or speak. Everybody has a, um, a time to talk and be heard. Well, it's been fun. Enjoy the journey.